thank you for joining me, Eve, on another episode of Prepology. And as always, I have with me my co-host, Claire. Hello. And my producer, Uzma. Hi. And we have two very special guests this week. Um, so today we're going to be talking about women in charity. So ladies, please introduce yourselves. Okay, so my name's Jamila and I'm an operations manager at a youth charity called Futureversity. And my name's Zora and I'm the director of the Muslim Youth Helpline. Thank you so much to you both for being here today. So I'm going to kick things off with my poopy moment of the, well, the year, or the several years rather than the year. But um, so... Because this episode is about young people, I thought I'm going to pull one out of the bag, like one really <laughs> old one, you know, brewed nicely. So my poopy moment when I was little, probably seven or eight years old, is that my mum left me at the library once. She actually, for well, I thought she forgot me. It turns out she didn't quite forget me. But basically, we went to the library together and her and my aunt and my uncle went upstairs to the adult section. They left me downstairs in the kids section. And, um, and she said, you know, just read and then we'll come and get you on the way out. So I was like happily sitting around reading my book. And then the security guard came and he was like, the library's closed now, you need to go. And I was like, but my mum hasn't come down yet. He said, there's no one up there. Everyone's gone. You're the last person in the building. And I was like, really? How's that possible? I'm seven. My mum said she'll come and get me. Oh, yeah. He's like, no, you need to leave. Oh. So I put on my Eskimo suit because obviously... As I say, I was six or seven, so I'd recently, like, maybe moved to England about two years prior to that. And still, my mum dressed me like an Eskimo. It was probably August, but, you know, we're from Turkey. So to her, it was, like, minus 50 degrees, in her mind. And she used to make me wear, like, 15 different layers on. I couldn't actually put my arms down flat. That's how many layers of clothes I had. I don't think I could bend my arms either. Maybe not even my legs. She was actually describing to Uzma the other day the different layers of clothing she used to make me wear. So what did she say? Something like tights, then socks, then pyjama bottoms, then some sort of thermal from M&S, and then a pair of actual trousers. Wow. (laughs) So So you were just... (laughs) Basically, yeah, basically shuffling around (laughs) like a robot. And uh, so I put my Eskimo suit back on and I went outside and I thought, no, mum's going to be outside. And he actually genuinely closed the library door and locked it. Oh my god. Which was even more weird because I think about it now. Like, if you would you just put a seven year old child who's like, my mum is here yeah. somewhere, like, just out on the front door? <laughs> just He literally just went, off you go, and then closed the door and locked it. And I was like, shit i think everyone actually has genuinely gone home like where the hell is my mum and then i thought oh maybe she's gone across the road to tesco or something i'll just sit on the stairs i think i sat there for about 15 20 minutes and then i thought no my mum's actually genuinely left me here at the library how bizarre so i walked myself back home for the first time ever on my own and somehow you know i found the way and um and i got home and i remember like opening the door thinking okay mom's got to be here and she wasn't there and then i spent another 45 excruciating minutes like trying to figure out then where my mum was because then i got scared that something could happen to her and it turns out she was still upstairs the security guard hadn't gone upstairs there was a whole load of human beings up there 
not aware that he'd locked the doors, like about 20 people, they all came downstairs, he opened the door and let them out. And then mum said, have you seen my child? And he said, no, all the kids oh have gone God. home. So then she lost her mind and thought that someone had like killed me inside the library. So she was convinced that she was going to find my dead body in the library. So she kicks up a big fuss and says, I want all the doors opened. I want to see every room. I'm not leaving until I see every room. Like, where's my child? And the whole time he just takes her around all the room. He doesn't say like, oh yeah, there was this weird robot kid with like 50 <laughs> layers on. <laughs> and she said about her mum and I kicked her outside. No. So they walk around the entire library. Mum's like c- crying and, you know, demanding someone calls the police and where the hell is her child? And I'm at home thinking, who killed my mother? You know, why is she not at home? And yeah, so there you go. So the guy didn't say anything. He, and then, so he booted out a seven-year-old. Yeah. And then to cover up his tracks, lies to the mother. Basically, yeah. What? So my aunt, my uncle, my mum, they were all searching this entire library, basically. Made him open every locked door in the whole place just to see. And asking all the people, like, where, when have you seen this girl? And some people are like, yeah, she was sitting next to this little boy and they're like how old was the little boy how little was the little (laughs) boy you know mum's like i thought maybe you got like you know raped and murdered by an 18 year old you know or something like that in her head she's got so how did she eventually find you well there was nothing left for them to do they called the police they actually like reported me missing in this library the police turns up they look around and then they say, well, go home, we'll let you know Like if we see her down the road. So the police is out driving around the roads, mm-hmm. you know, in the area. Mum walks back home because, you know, this was prior to mobile phone days. Yeah. So she went back home to obviously wait for the phone to ring to see if they found me. And I was obviously at home. So she walked in through the door. And I'm like, where the hell have you been? I thought you were dead. And she just, like, burst out crying you know obviously oh my like, god was really happy to see me and then she almost beat me up <laughs> yeah. okay, but to be fair this is all that <laughs> library guy's fault yeah, yeah. the whole yeah. thing yeah so she was like why did you leave me? you know when your mum's like i love you i miss you i'm so sorry never do that again yeah, and yeah. then she's like why the hell would you go without me <laughs> you know? like, me out. <laughs> oh, what the hell is wrong with you you're seven you can't walk home on your own do you not know this have i not taught you anything uh, <laughs> and i'm like it's okay mum i had protection in my bulletproof outfit <laughs> that nothing could penetrate. <laughs> Thank God. So there you go. That was my very poopy moment when I was seven. Very, very poopy. That's really poopy. Uzma. Um, mine was quite recently. I was at a birthday party dinner thing and we were having dinner and it was really loud and it was actually only four of us. And the girl next to me proceeded to ask me a question. I did not hear her. I asked her, like, I was like, excuse me, four times. So at the end of it, I was like, I can't, I don't think I can ask her to repeat herself again. Like, it's four times. I was like, I'm either gonna say yes or no, and then just hope for the best. Turn, but by the just time answering a question <laughs> without knowing what the question but is. The thing is, by the time it got to the fourth round of her asking me, the other two girls had started listening, so everyone knew what the question was, Gosh. other than me. So I just went with the yes. Uh-oh. 
And I have no idea what I said yes to. They all looked really shocked. <laughs> <laughs> and then the waitress came, so then the conversation turned, but I still do not know what I said. <laughs> I thought you were going to reveal to us. No, I have no idea what I said yes to. And Did I just you still <laughs> no, you ask them afterwards? No, I thought it was too late. I thought, I you know when the bullet passed. It's just no, no, but you, you could be that girl that you know does like, like had because you could have said like do you have coke on you and they're like do you know yes. What? Do you, can I be honest? She was high off her head. <laughs> okay. God bloody knows. You know, like there's probably a parallel universe where she's having this conversation saying, <laughs> I was at dinner with these three people and I was asking I was asking Elizabeth this question. And can you believe she said yes? Yeah. Because I had never met her before and I don't think I will ever meet her again. So that's why I was like, I'm just gonna go with a yes or a no. You know, you might see her Do you think she listens to Poopology? Well, I hope to God not. No, actually, at the same time. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah, you might thing. actually find out yeah. what the question was. If yeah. you're out there, person who was at dinner with yeah. Osma, please get in touch. <laughs> yeah. We'd like to know what the question Well, seeing as my other friend said she was so high, I'm not sure she will even remember what the question was herself. Wow. Wait, did your other friend hear the question? Yeah, maybe I should ask her. Ask them. Maybe. maybe I, I think you should. <laughs> yeah, why haven't you already done that? What have you agreed to <laughs> do? What's your friend's point <laughs> number? Let's call her now and find out. Text her. Text her. Hopefully by the time we get round the table, we'll know the answer. Do it. No, it's not WhatsApp, it's iMessage, isn't oh, sorry, it? Yeah. Either. Uh, slide in the DMs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. And I, I like the gang signs you threw across the this. Right. Down yeah, with the kids. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So not down. So, Claire, what's your poopy moment? So, my middle boy, this was his first year of reception this year, and he had been going to school for about a month, and his teacher, well, my, both my husband and I aside, to say, oh, my God, Fletcher just said the most hilarious thing. I was like, oh, okay. She said, we were having a discussion in class about... Um, food and allergies and what you could possibly be allergic to and all this kind of stuff and she asked the class do you have any allergies or are you allergic to anything and Fletcher puts his hand up she said yes and he goes I'm allergic to my mum and dad (laughs) (laughs) he wasn't he was four and a half he wasn't even five when he said this it's like you're a good one I, I totally agree with that. I'm allergic to you too. Well. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to say? You're allergic to the genius. Yeah, that that as well. <laughs> I think I got a slight wool allergy actually, thanks to the outfits out <laughs> she used to make me wear. Jeff, what's your poopy moment? So I'm I'm going to go with something that happened today. So quite recent. So it's a fresh, fresh thing. So um due to work and us starting up a delivery of our stride into summer program in Greenwich not as plug at all um, I was just going to meet some of our uh, youth leaders and peer motivators who are doing their first day training today um, and my plan was to be there between 11 and 11.30 because it was only going to take an hour obviously public transport was on top form so not only did my train stop in the tunnel for 20 minutes so I couldn't actually tell anybody that now I was running late. But then got to the next station and half the doors wouldn't close. So another 15 minutes. And then it just changed lines. I was meant to go to Newcross Gate and then he just announced that we were now going to Peckham Rye. Or, you know, the Queen's Line. Completely in the wrong direction. So, like, literally, it was, I was on the, you know, if I had 
everyone got off when the, those doors first started playing. So then I ended up getting on a train. Thankfully, we have City Mapper. I thank you, City Mapper. <laughs> so I get there with three minutes to spare before they start their training, which is going to last for four hours, and I won't be able to get back to, to deliver what I needed to deliver to them and leave. So I'd spent like an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes for three minutes? Three minutes. Circling around London on a train. I, and I, I literally, at one point when I did get on the train, I did wonder if I'd gotten on the wrong train because it seemed to be going back in the same direction. I'd just Actually, gone wrong. Zora, what was your old pee pee moment? My pee pee moment was from just a couple of weeks ago. So last week was my birthday. And uh-huh. usually I have no issues about how old I am. And, and in fact, the older I get, I sort of feel like the better I feel. And I think that's partly because being the director of an organisation in this sector, you're young unless you're like or something and um, and so I often will try and make myself look older and things which is you know which is fine so I've never had issues with getting older you mean you're not 65 no I'm not I know I know you look good (laughs) (laughs) well so I was so last week was my birthday and a couple of days before that I was recording another podcast with a youth group and they were talking all about lots of issues and things and there was a point at which we had a, a break and I was typing something on my laptop and there was this guy who was maybe, I don't know, mid to late 20s, just sitting kind of next to me. He wasn't on the podcast, but he was in the room. And um, kind of from the corner of my eye, I can kind of see him. And he said, Auntie Zora, can I ask you a question? And I didn't, I didn't quite clock that he was talking to me because who the hell is Auntie Zora? And then a minute later, I just thought, sorry, were you talking to me? And he said, yeah, you're Auntie Zora, aren't you? And I sort of looked at him like, if you're 10, you can call me Auntie Zora, but if you're late 20s, I'm like, you know, maybe... A little creepy. Yeah, seriously. I was like, uh, maybe like five or ten years older than you. You can't call me auntie. It was really, And I suddenly got really freaked out that people in their 20s are calling me auntie. Like, what has <laughs> happened? What has gone wrong? Something has gone very wrong. I am not your auntie. So just, no. <laughs> when did that tick box happen? When did I move to the next when? stage? Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. No, too young for auntie. Yeah, seriously. If you're 10, it's fine. And if you're my godchild, fine. But apart from that, I'm not your auntie. No. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was quite definite. <laughs> oh, oh, I was going to call you auntie later. <laughs> I mean, Auntie Zora has a nice ring to it. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, but no. <laughs> Categorically, no. Would it make any difference if you had older people who you knew were older that referred to you as auntie Zora? Because I feel like it's maybe... An honorific of um, honorific. An honorific. Did, did you just make that word up like me? No, <laughs> it's actually a word. Honorific. Claire's on the case. We're going to check I mean, see if I, it's real. I don't. I don't know how I feel about that. If somebody like let's say somebody you know, like, who's sixty-five you calls me auntie, as in like because you know you're the director, so yeah, still no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just wondered if it worked any better. You know. Yeah, good question, but no. Yeah, I mean, I think the first time someone called me Auntie Eve, I was a bit. Is it not there? Well, look, I reckon the rule should be if you if you can pinch someone's cheek, they can call you Auntie. Oh really? No, I have like grown people calling me Auntie Eve now. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Okay, but I think I have to get used to it. Not that much, really. Doubt it. So Jamila is correct. Honorific is a title that conveys esteem, courtesy, or respect for position or rank when used in addressing or referring to a person. Wow. Yeah, baby, $10 that word. In-house thesaurus. <laughs> we do like a dictionary. <laughs> well, I just needed to check because it sounded like... It sounded fake. It sounded made up. 
Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you, your guys' vocabulary is not as oh. wide as mine. <laughs> So we've done a couple of special episodes on women in technology, women in construction, and I felt it was quite important for us to do something around charity. And since you both work for youth charities, which is something that we're passionate about, we thought that it would be great to interview you guys and have you on the show. Thank you for having us. No problem. So first I'm going to start off by um, reading out some facts that I found online when I was doing my research. So apparently there is almost 3 million young people between the ages of 0 and 25 living in just London at the moment, which is one third of the population of the capital. Very high. So we obviously have a very high young kind of community in London. Um, 700,000 of them live in poverty and 1.1 million uh, live in households with income below the minimum wage so that's quite a scary statistic and I was reading something I found an article actually um, that the NHS had released in November 2018 um, which was also looking at um, the prevalence of mental health problems amongst young children um, and young people between the ages of 2 and 19 and apparently 1 in 8 um, has a diagnosed mental health condition. So um, I suspect the actual numbers are probably slightly higher because this obviously refers to diagnosed. So firstly, as a young person, you have to recognise yourself that you probably have a problem and then you have to go and talk to somebody about it and then actually officially be diagnosed with it. So I suspect the numbers are actually significantly higher than that. So all of those are quite frightening uh, statistics really um, and since you're both from slightly differing but working with young people I just wanted to hear from you guys your perspectives and the types of young people you come across and the issues that you uh, you know regularly hear over and over again. I feel like we could talk about issues for days really. Um, I think actually I think you've painted a little bit of a bleak picture and, and sadly I think that's quite an accurate picture really. If you think about um, half of all mental illness um, starts before the age of 18 so really we need to pay attention to what's going on with young people um, and actually just adding to the stats the link between childhood trauma and addiction is actually stronger than the link between obesity and type 2 diabetes. Oh wow. Yeah, it's an interesting one, that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I never would have tied those two together, yeah. Yeah, so the childhood trauma that you're talking about coming from families where there's really not enough income, the prevalence of things like food banks in the city and the rest of the country at the same time, um, it's not a great picture. So I don't know, I mean, I guess I feel like there's some hope out there because there is help out there. Um, but in terms of how mental health is looking among young people and then the effects that has on them when they grow up, it's not a pretty picture. Yeah, do you think that people are more aware, though, of mental health issues now than ever before? So it's talked about a little bit more. Are young people also more aware and more forthcoming with, um, you know, speaking to people about their issues now than before? Have you seen a change at all? I think so. I think um, when you look at things like the media, people are talking about things a lot more. Um, I think um, stigma and taboo are still you know, alive and kicking, but slightly less with some issues. So, for example, people are talking a lot more about things like anxiety a lot more openly, um, less so things like depression, which I think is still seen as very much kind of something to be ashamed of and that it's really hard to talk about. Um, so I think things are changing. Um, 
Yeah, but maybe not as much as, as kind of we need it to change, I think. Right. Um, I mean, one of the studies that we did at the helpline showed us that 40% of young men, so um, under 30, I guess, um, 40% of them, the last time they had an issue, they didn't talk to anyone about it. Yeah. So as much as we are kind of, it's, it's kind of shaping a bit more conversation in the kind of national consciousness, young people are still going without talking to people about their issues, which is a problem. Yeah, young men especially seem to be, because I guess men find it more difficult to talk about their feelings in general. Yeah. Now, yeah. They're brought up slightly differently, right? As yeah. women, we're a little bit more forthcoming and open mm. about how we feel, whereas I think for men it's a little bit harder, perhaps. And even if they're brought up within their family situations to be more open, they get outside their front doors and everybody else tells them that they, you know, they need to be strong, men don't cry, men don't do this, men don't do that, and actually, you know, if they're struggling, then they've got all these extra burdens and challenges and, and actually all they want to do is tell somebody that they're struggling what age do you think it kicks in for men slash boys not talking because i have three little ones and at the moment they're very open about everything that they're doing <laughs> but what sort of age do you think that that would sort of start stopping and like asking the questions and sharing their feelings will then start to secondary school off? secondary schools about yeah. that, that, that first year at secondary school when especially if they're in an all-boys school. Actually, yeah. it doesn't really matter if they're in an all-boys school or a mixed school or whatever. But at secondary school, that's when they learn big pond rules mm-hmm. and stuff. And also, if they're, you know, if they're overly emotional or dramatic or creative, then, you know, they don't want to be seen to that because that could be seen to be something else than bullying or whatever. And, and yeah. even if they're not, you know, like, it makes most young men clam up. Yeah, that's the kind of age also where you're trying to kind of figure out where you fit in in the world. Yeah. Where are you? I mean, if you've gone from a primary school to a different secondary school, that's a whole other host of issues where you're kind of, you know, you used to be the kind of biggest and oldest kids in a school, and now you're the tiniest and the youngest. It's a completely different place to be. Mm-hmm. And so figuring out who you are and where you are and when you say things, people react to you differently and who you're supposed to be as well. And also yeah. just juggling that sort of who am I supposed to be at home versus who am I supposed to be at school versus who I am with my teachers. There's, there's a whole lot of identity going yeah. on, a lot of kind of learning who you are in the first place, which I think is actually confusing for adults, let alone children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of the age groups, uh, what sort of age groups do you work with, Jim? So um, the charity work with young people aged 11 through to 19 okay, and up to 25 if they have any special educational needs. And do you find that within that age group you have quite a lot of people facing all sorts of different issues? So depending on the programme they're on, depends on sort of the amount of contact we have with them. But yeah, anything from like, well, food poverty and some of our programmes... We've had young people tell us the only reason they came was because their friend told them that they'd get breakfast and lunch. And then they found out there were snacks as well and they invited another friend because they just thought it was the best idea ever. They loved the course, but literally they would never have stepped through the door if there wasn't, hadn't been food. Wow. Um, and we've got other young people who, you know, their families are relatively affluent, but they're bored. And they just want to try something new. But, you know, relatively affluent doesn't mean you can spend £400 on an introduction to art course, you know, for just one child for a week of their summer holiday when you've got one, two or three other children. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that's always been core to our charity is that we provide everything free at point of contact. So the young people don't pay. We have funders who pay for them to take part. Can you just explain a little bit about what you guys actually do, just to put some context? So in the main, we run um, summer and holiday educational programmes. And I say educational with a light touch, so it's not like 
were based in schools and stuff. We try and make things fun, engaging, and if anything, so that young people don't even realise they're learning particular skills. So one of our programmes is called Vacation Education. It's a 10-day programme. So when they sign up, they sign up for 10 days. We work with our corporate partners and they're, you know, they're doing presentations, learning presentation skills. Um, one of our corporate partners has a, um, like a whole stage with ceilings, with mics and stuff. And so we did a um, Dragon's Den, shoved them on the stage, filled the room. And then, you know, like over the day, we got them prepped up. But at the end of the day, they had to present in front of all their peers, plus a, a panel of dragons. And I remember one young man was absolutely petrified. He was shaking in his boots, but he, he was doing his bit for his team, which meant that he was reading the slides with his back to everybody. And you could see him shaking, but then literally as he finished, he turned, smiled, and then breathed a sigh of relief and was like, yeah, I did it, kind of thing. <laughs> but we know that the next time he's going to do that, he's going to do a bit better, and the next time he's going to do a bit better. And actually, when we're introducing these skills, actually we want them to... Maybe fail really quickly and quite easily, but bounce back and stuff. And actually, was that young guy? That guy wasn't a fail. Do you know what? In fairness to him, I've seen some professionals <laughs> present like that. So. <laughs> well, I'm like that in every podcast. Um, I know you guys can't see me, but I basically sit with my back to my guest just in case. <laughs> no, but you know, because like, they're, they're quite young and they're trying to, you know, we we like we'll try and give them some pointers, but then. We will let them make their own mistakes or make their own um, like successes, so that they are able to own that and say, okay, you know, I was scared, and we, I, I see a lot of feedback forms where I, where I came out of my comfort zone, or yeah. they've been hanging. Well, around it must be us. a great confidence boost for them to like do stuff that you know they're not naturally sort yeah. of at ease at doing, and feel like they've achieved it. Obviously. I think so, because um, their parents come back saying, you know, they're more focused at school, their teachers come back saying that they're prepared to ask questions that they wouldn't ask before, even, even to the point where they're prepared to ask questions that may make them look silly, but it helps them understand what they're doing, so they don't care what the rest of their friends think, because it's going to make what they're doing yeah. easier for them, yeah. you know? and that's kind of a, like a, quite a big mind shift. And I saw that a lot of the courses, because I was looking on your website earlier, are all quite vocational you know you have like introduction to architecture obviously I noticed that one and I noticed (laughs) the building one and I was like why wasn't I asked to do this hang on a minute so I'm volunteering (laughs) my time now Jim so I'm expecting a phone call well we do have a partner with so we do partner with the Stephen Lawrence Centre in Greenwich um, for that but I will keep you on the list for next year thank you um, but yeah so it's a case of you know you're trying to marry lots of things so it's, it's get into law get into medicine but you know there's go-karting there's rock climbing you've actually got an opportunity to try almost anything during your summer so you know that when that you go back um, to school and that dreaded question what did you do over the summer well most of our Kids are what we class as disadvantaged, and I wouldn't necessarily call it just socioeconomically, but maybe they come from non-professional households or non-degree households. You know, they may have other options, but they just don't know what the whole breadth of the, what the horizon is outside of school, where they get told, you know, go into architecture and one of the big four, I don't know, become a doctor or become a lawyer. It's so important, though, because yeah. I think sometimes um, young people don't really know what's out there. And so you don't really know what you're good at or what you're passionate about if you've not experienced it before. Yeah. We did a, um, last year we had a young man on our prototyping an app course. Um, apparently, according to his parents, he's genius at that level. I mean, most parents probably think that, so you, you know, take that with a pinch of salt. But like whatever he was doing on the course, he was like, I want to work for this company. 
I want to do this. Um, the guy on the course was saying, your job wouldn't just be this. And he was like, no, I will find a job where I can just do this. And his parents came back to us saying, it's the first time he's even shown an interest in the future, yeah. which is, you know, it's a massive quantum leap for young yeah. people. Yeah. Just to go back to that point, my mum thinks she's a genius. <laughs> yeah. To be quite honest, I, I, I think we she doesn't call me a genius. Does she, she think you're a genius? I don't think so, actually. I don't think so. But she regularly calls herself a technology genius. Yeah. Osmar can testify to this fact. <laughs> is that yeah. relative to her age? Someone who's 95. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's wow. relative to someone who's <laughs> She is not going to be happy hearing that. <laughs> I, I, I want to be that person. I want to be that person who's just like, yeah, I'm a genius at this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And oh, yeah. And yeah, I'm... <laughs> you see so many young people where at some point, like when they're little, they're like, I am amazing at everything I do. And then at some point, do, what do we like stop <laughs> yeah but do we yeah. like beat it out of them like be constantly telling them they're not good enough like cause I, you... I think it's a combination isn't it some of it is self-confidence so at some stage when you're growing up you come across an obstacle of some description where your confidence gets mm. knocked whether that's you know you throw yourself off a slide and you fall flat on your face or whether it's you know, you go to talk in front of a bunch of your peers in assembly and you realise you can't actually do it. Yeah. Or what, whatever it is, you you know, something happens to you basically at some stage where you fail at something that you might not have thought that you were going to fail at. And I think some people take that in a positive way, mm-hmm. but a lot of people, especially for young people, it's a bit of a knock to your confidence, yeah. isn't it? Mm. And then you start to do that, oh, God so stupid I'm not good at this I'm not good at because as with any you know any human once you're in that mind you know set you just kind of start doing all that negative talking to yourself basically don't you you list all the things that you think you're not good at so you know for me like I was always a great student and then I got a D in maths and that was it and then I thought I'm so stupid I can't even add two and two together this is terrible and you know, I started telling myself I was so stupid, I could not do sciences, I could not do maths, I could not do... Then I went on to do a degree in medical biology. But, <laughs> you know, at that point, yeah. you know, I think that's, you know, something like that happens to everyone. And Yeah. So we lose. recently, for my five-year-old, just had a birthday party, and one of the games that they wanted to play was running races. And I thought, oh, my God, this is going to end in disaster. It always does. And I was like, "Only mates, get set, go!" And they all started running. And one of the little girls fell over, and she started crying, and she got really upset. And I said to her, "Do you want to try again?" She said, "Yes." And I went, "All right, everybody, give her a round of applause and a big cheer because she wants to do it again, and it's really brave." So off she went, and she did it again. She was really happy with herself. But I thought she's only five, and if I say to her, "Oh, never mind," she mm. won't. She won't be prepared yeah. to do it again. Yeah. So I thought it was really yeah. important just to yeah, give yeah, her a back up as yeah, well. Yeah, and make everybody else realise that yeah, yeah she's going to give it a go and give her a. Chance and bit of a hooray so it's good. the thing is it is quite hard when you're not not naturally good at something or if you've you've tried something I think even just as a great I'll give you a great example my flatmate I've gotten into playing PlayStation as a bit of a release, and I love this game called Overcooked, and I am kick-ass at this game. Are you genius level? I am genius level at this game. And I love playing it because it just, you know, takes my mind off anything because all I'm doing is trying to win, so I can't think about anything else that's going on in my day. 
and I got her to come play with me once. And she started off and she played and she wasn't that good and I was kind of trying to be a bit patient and, you know, not too competitive. But basically she got frustrated in the first sort of hour or so and she refuses to play with me now. So I have no friends to play with. I play on my own and I play online. Aww. But she kind of, I know, seriously. Um, <laughs> but she just kind of, she gave up at some point and I tried to sort of reverse psychology her and say, so, you know, well, you know, you can try and keep going. And she was just like, no, I'm done. I've kind of had enough of that. And I thought, actually... When you're an adult, it's not often that you come across a skill that you're maybe not great at, but you really have to master. But when you're a child, that's kind of all you do. You're not, yeah, you know, you yeah, kind of yeah. just have to pick yourself up and try again about everything, mm. which is really hard. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I suppose because we wouldn't be talking or walking if we didn't yeah. keep yeah. on trying. But I think when your consciousness kicks in, yeah. knows when it all goes down downhill a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll play with you, Zara. <laughs> Seriously, thank you.
at a time where someone feels like they have no one and they have nothing and they're kind of on the brink or just feel like they can't turn to anyone they can turn to us mm. and I feel like it's such a privilege to be able to be there during that time and help them through that time and we also get I guess being a helpline it's slightly different because generally we don't really hear back from our clients mm. so people will call us we'll talk to them or we'll communicate with them and then they're kind of gone but um, sometimes we do get people either calling back in um, or emailing and just saying you know I went through this difficult time and you were there this Father's Day actually um, I think it's the first time I've cried about work in a long time but um, I had someone send in a blog post about Father's Day and, and kind of describe his journey from being a young person who had a mostly absent father and on Father's Day he was kind of reminiscing and kind of thinking about the journey that he'd been through and I mean I didn't know this client I'd never read about him before but he called the helpline at the time when he felt like he needed it the most. And um, he went on this whole journey, and I think he's got a really healthy attitude towards his dad now. Um, but just reading that, reading the emotion that he went through, it brought me to tears. I thought, that what an amazing story, and what an incredible young man. Yeah. And the fact that we can be part of that story, I think, is just it's great. Yeah, because even if it's that, like, literally, it's the exclamation mark in his, his entire life story, yeah, it's yeah. great to be part of it. Yeah. yeah, really meaningful. Very admirable. Is that the correct word? Have I just made up a word? No. I regularly make up words. It's because you're a genius, and genius, that's what geniuses do. No, I'm the child of a genius. <laughs> the spawn of genius. <laughs> Technology genius, specifically. Okay. So we had to stop for a moment and turn the fan on, because it's 33 degrees or something today, or tomorrow, or I don't know. It's, it's very hot. hot. It's very hot. And Jem is sweating. <laughs> I am. I think you're perspiring. <laughs> don't, no, no, don't no. ladies perspire. No, I'm glowing. glowing. I'm, glowing. I'm glowing right now. We're all a bit, glowing a little bit. Yeah. We're all getting our little bit of Beyonce wind machine moment going on. Yeah. Because it slides past. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have two questions. The first one is sort of referring back to what Eve was talking about in terms of the statistics. I wanted to know... What is poverty? So in the UK, what do, what do we class as poverty? And the other one, um, so with the current environment, political, celebrity, etc., have you seen that have a major impact on your charities? I'll be honest, I don't know the definition of poverty right now offhand. It, it, it depends on who you ask what they say poverty is. It always, always seems to be skewed. So the government's definition of poverty and the poverty line is higher than most other places. Um, I personally would say that poverty is, um, as a personal experience, you know, somebody who, if you're a parent, is regularly skipping meals in order for your children to eat, mm -hmm. is um, regularly, I don't know, being woken up at night by bills wor worry, even if they're working one or two jobs, but it's still not enough to make ends meet. Um, generally, living a life where you're constantly worried where, how, if you know, where mm. the next pound is coming from, and if so, how you can, how many ways you can split it to, I don't know, pay for transport, buy clothes for you, your children, Cause I'm, and I'm thinking of this as a, as a young family unit rather than a single person. Um, experiencing poverty which I know is a different experience yeah. it's, it may have the same implications but it's a different experience um, I recently saw on the news about a woman who'd fallen behind on her rent and was evicted so then the council said that she had elected to be homeless by not paying her rent the reason she didn't pay rent is because she didn't actually have enough money even though she was working their option was to offer her housing so she lived in London she now lives in Norwich with her kids um, She's got a better house, but it took her um, 
six months to get her kids a school place. They moved in May. They didn't get a school place till September. There was no provision for them. But she, like, literally, in order for them to have a home, they had to move. Um, and I don't, you know, like, not having that kind of control. I don't know. Money seems to give you some certain amount of control over your life. That's really hard. And there's, um, I know with, uh, with particularly vulnerable groups of people, it's really easy to fall into poverty, too. So um, just thinking about domestic violence, for example, um, one of the questions that I think comes up quite a lot is, you know, why doesn't she just leave? And uh, I was speaking to um, an expert in domestic violence a few months ago, and I was really surprised by this, but um, if you're in a relationship and uh, you're experiencing domestic violence and you're living at the same property and you move out, apparently the council considers you to have made yourself voluntarily homeless. And so they will not house you straight away. And so for a woman who's in that sort of situation who then wants to leave, it just makes things much, much worse because it's much easier than to end up homeless. Mm. And then there's the whole problem of universal credit um, where, I mean, I think I was just reading about um, a young father who took his own life last week because he didn't want to tell his family, but he had to apply for it and then still couldn't keep up with his bills and ended up feeling like his family would be better off without him, which is really sad. Uh, also, I'm a governor at a primary school um, in northwest London, in Harrow, which I consider to be, you know, generally, I don't know, growing up there, crime was, you know, you might get someone licking £10 here and there sort of thing. It was, it was, it felt like thoroughly middle class, I guess. Um, but at the primary school there, teachers at our school are still handing out fruit and snacks to kids coming in uh, in the mornings because they've not had breakfast and they've not had dinner. And if they've not had breakfast and dinner, then their parents certainly haven't had breakfast and dinner either. So it does, I think I agree that it does feel like it's going up. Mm. Yeah. And maybe it's because I'm more aware. Um, I think before I started working um, this charity, I thought I was quite aware and quite in touch with what's happening around me and what was going on in the world. And I mean, I think we're all a little bit more aware though now you know I think everything's highlighted a little bit more I I think thanks to you know a lot of different organizations highlighting issues um, as well as I mean just the simple fact of you know I don't remember there being food bank collections outside Tesco's you know 10 years ago but now every other month the Tesco's that's near my house there's a food bank collection and they, you know, on the way in, they give you little leaflets and there's like a list of items that they're mm. falling short of. So if you feel like purchasing any of them and dropping them, you know, mm. in a basket somewhere, you can, you can do that. So clearly, you know, it's highlighted to me just by that very fact that there's people out there doing, you know, doing this in, in the area that I live in anyway, in, in the community. You know, it's, it's funny, my dad... So he grew up in New Zealand. He had three brothers and two sisters, and they were very poor. And he used to tell me that they would raid the next-door neighbour's vegetable patch and take vegetables and things. And it's, he, he said it wasn't until about 20 years later that he ran into the, into the neighbour and he had a conversation and said, oh, I'm really sorry for stealing your, all your fruit and vegetable. And so he went, we used to grow them for you because we knew you had no money. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, wow. So that's kind of taking community... And looking at um, food banks, but in a community way. And my dad had no idea because there was loads of he had loads of brothers and sisters, you know, and they just used to grow up for him. Yeah, so had something to eat. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. That's a great neighbour. Yeah. So when I was a child at school, only only ten years ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> stop laughing, Camila. I, I remember things like, you know, you do a harvest festival in September and may and you know, bring in your can 
to donate to the box, mm. you know, for your class. And I was vaguely aware that at my church they did like um, like Christmas boxes, but I never actually saw them. I just knew that I used to hear them talking about, you know, raising money or, or asking for donations to so they could go and buy some turkeys and basically provide a family with the food to eat over Christmas. And maybe about three years ago, I just happened to walk into the hall when they were actually putting together this, what I thought would be a Christmas box. And I, I, I don't know what I was expecting, what I wasn't expecting was what looked like a, a mini army of people with a mountain of food and a whole lot of boxes with a list and trying to work out, okay, this family has six people in it, this family has four people in it, this is how much they we need to put in here, oh, we need to do a double up on it. And, like, the realisation that... I think it's because everything is uh, so much worse now. So, yeah. you know, I think when I was young... Um, when you you considered yourself to be you know poor or not well to do was if you got school dinners for example or yeah. something like that now you're seeing people going to food banks just for tins of baked beans you know they don't even have you know we we saw it as our friends that you know were not from well to do families they still had fish fingers and baked beans at home you mm. know we might have had something a bit you know better than that but yeah. they had something now it's the fact that people don't even have that yeah. you know they can't afford that they have to go to a food bank for literally cornflakes and fish fingers and yeah. baked beans like the most basic you know basic food that you can get so i think things are obviously on a different scale now to, yeah. to before what we considered poor i think before you know 20 years ago or 30 years ago is different to what we would consider mm. now and i do think that's had sometimes something to do with credit and debt Twenty years ago, thirty years ago, you didn't have the money, you couldn't spend it. Like nobody. Whereas now, you know, if you can get a credit card, you can spend it, and then you, how much do you end up paying? To I was get reading it? something really interesting about why people can't afford houses now, how hard it is to get on the first-time buyers, mm. you know, list, and why it's so difficult now. So if it's you look at it, it's not just avocado toast. It's not just the avocado. Um, so if you look at it, apparently, um, you know, 60 years ago or 50 years ago, whenever, um, house prices, an average house would cost approximately two to three times someone's a average salary. So if your salary, let's say in the modern times, was 30 grand, mm -hmm. your house probably cost 90 grand to purchase. Wow. So you would easily be able to put down your 10% deposit and then spend the next 15 years, 10 years, whatever, 20 years, depending on your mm. monthly budget budgeting. You know, if you have six kids, you're going to yeah. have less money to pay towards your mortgage. So that would dictate whether you wanted a five-year, 10-year, 15, 20 or 25-year mortgage. But essentially, everyone would be able to pay a 25-year mortgage in time, even wow. if they had six kids, and get by, fine. You know, mm. yes, maybe some of them would have had to have ate fish fingers and baked beans, yeah. but, but it was doable. Now, it doesn't matter whether you eat fish fingers and baked beans or whatever you eat, you don't eat at all. You can't physically, you know, those, those stats no longer stack yeah. up in that way. You know, if your average salary is £30,000, the average house price now in London, or forget house, just a one-bedroom flat is about £450,000. So it's actually, you know, more than 10 times, mm -hmm. maybe 15 times your salary. 
So it's virtually impossible for you to even save up the 10% deposit. You know, the 10% deposit on a £450,000 flat is £45,000. That's more than most people's annual salary before tax, yeah. you know. Yeah. So you've paid tax on it, you've paid your bills, your rent, your this, your that. How, how much are you actually saving each year? So if it takes you 10 years to save the 45 grand, then 10 years later, that flat actually isn't worth 450,000 anymore though, is it? You're gonna need 85 in 10 grand years, here. yeah, you, need, you now suddenly you need 70,000 pounds or 80,000 pounds. So you are <coughs> constantly on the back foot, you just can't, yeah. you know, you, you can't get over that. So, you know, they were saying that lots of people that in even our generation that were able to afford houses were because their parents mm -hmm. had cash purchased their property you know like 30 years ago or whatever and um, and had the equity <coughs> in that in their own property to release some money yeah. to help them you know yeah. with their down payment or their deposit and all they need to do is pay their monthly you know monthly amounts and because it's not that much more than paying rent, I guess. You know, yeah. you can you can kind of get by on that. But most people that were able to do it were able to do it because their parents released equity out mm. of their own property. The bank of mum and dad. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. because you know, like I say, they paid thirty thousand pounds for their you know five bedroom house somewhere, which is now worth five six hundred seven hundred. Which is now in central Ballam and yeah. it's worth a fortune. And yeah. then all they need to do is even if they release ten percent equity in it, which is nothing, you know, paying ten percent equity is yeah. like most people don't have ninety percent equity in their property. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, if you're sixty five, seventy, eighty, however old, releasing ten percent gives you seven hundred. At seventy thousand pounds, so that would, I guess, easily pay for your, yeah, you know, child's yeah. down payment, or maybe even two kids' down payments, yeah. you know, depending on where they're buying. Mm. But <coughs> you know, those are the kind of numbers. So if you then look at it, if we've struggled so much, and a lot of people, I mean, some people, some of my friends were lucky enough that their parents could do that, but I'm not that lucky. So um, even if one day I managed to buy myself a property. If I was to have kids, luckily I don't, you know, how would I help them then? You know, how would I release <laughs> equity? Would never move out because how long <laughs> would it take me to pay for my property? Yeah. And then by the time I've paid for it, you know, how hard would it then be for me to release enough equity to pay for God knows however much a property is going to cost in, you know, another 30 years time, if you yeah. look at the way that yeah. they're increasing. So if Uzma, you know, let, uh, let's say I buy a property uh, next year, if Usman needed help with her deposit, I mean, what the hell? You know, I'd probably it would just be impossible, right? I couldn't release equity in my property. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've got <coughs> three kids, but my middle boy's future ambitions is to be a rock star, so maybe he can <laughs> afford to buy a full house. <laughs> <laughs> the little one wants to be a tractor, and the oldest one wants to be an artist. So, oh gosh. Yeah. I'm just gonna I'm gonna rant a little bit about this actually. <laughs> like, you know, how comes the artist gets to be the rich one? You know, no, the rock star, artist, whatever, rock star, whatever the whatever you are, and you know, the doctor, the lawyer, the you know, the charity worker, the the one who's the what? What does he want to be? A tractor? A tractor. The tractor, which would be me. You know, I'd be the tractor. <laughs> How comes we don't get to do that? That's so unfair. Yeah. Tractors need houses too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> More like a barn. Yeah. 
which I, I bet cost even more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Band conversion, you, yeah. Do you not think footballers unfairly earn too much money for kicking a ball around? I'm so um, sorry. Um, I know that might be a very female view on the. On I'm the gonna say actually they can ball into a hole. Sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna say no, not because into a net. I actually think they should get paid that much, but because we value our entertainment more than we value our own health and um, like ability to do things that we actually need to do. We value entertainment. Look at like the entertainment business, how many millions are spent on just I mean I'm not sure trying it's... to keep this PG but pissing it up a wall really. <laughs> I'm not saying that, you know, footballers shouldn't get paid. You know, no. of course they should. There's lots of really amazing sports people. But I, I have an issue with football and male footballers because, you know, the women don't get paid as much in women's football. You know yeah, depends on the club. They don't get Aren't they now trying to protest to get equal pay? Yeah, it yes. depends on the club as well. Because some of the clubs have actually recognised yeah. their women as actual professionals, so they actually get a wage, whereas when they're semi-professional, they have to actually have another no, they job. they might get a wage, but we're talking like, you know, £1 million for every ball you kick versus, you know, what? Yeah. I'm I don't know how It's mainly much, the smaller clubs that are recognising their women. I mean, I think the, the women's um, World Cup finals and things that happened in the last few months, they were so interesting and such interesting characters there, and they don't get paid the same amount. And I think, I know that the even the prize money is a lot less for winning, which I totally understand in some ways because it is an industry. And so if the men's one is, you know, selling more football shirts and tickets and things, then that's one thing. But I think just increasing the interest in women's football is worth doing. Mm. I hear your rant. Yeah. <laughs> no one want bloody football. You know, how about the guy who runs, you know, or who does, like, high jump or something? But I, 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 re- I really would like more of a Wimbledon-style approach. You know, so if you get knocked out, or you do something, you know, you get your, like, your first round, if you get knocked out, you only get a little bit. And, then, you know, as you work out, like, some of these guys are more character than skill, I feel, sometimes. Not all of them, but some of them. Maybe the ones I've done it. you require but, a lot of skill to be a pilot. You require a lot of skill to be a brain surgeon, to be one of those guys that put microscopic things into people's bodies and, you know, change where their entire internal into the cup. Like, that's got to be some skill, because, like, if I tried to do that, have you not seen that advert where it's, like, a little biscuit and it's on the thing and he kicks the ball and it hits the cup but doesn't hit the rest of the... Okay. I really like those biscuits, by the way. Yeah, but I think the the really, really skilled ones should get paid as much as the brain surgeons that are really, really skilled. Which is probably like a tenth of what they currently get exactly. paid. Exactly. So that's my point, is that what they get paid is like ridiculous. How about yeah, this? it is ridiculous. How about this? Instead of taxing everybody else, why don't we just tax footballers? I think that's, that's a great real. idea. Yes. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't expect that at all. I just thought I'd throw it out there, but I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> so with your charities, do you see when it comes to things like football or celebrity people, celebrities, etc. Do you see that having an effect on the youth? Gosh, yes. I mean, just to start off with social media, I feel like with your rant about football wages, I think I could have a rant about social media. Social media is harming young people in so many different ways. I mean, even for, for adults, it's looking at the best parts of people's lives and then comparing yourself or even just feeling like, even if you're not comparing yourself, it's feeling like everyone else is having this amazing time and going on all these holidays and doing all these wonderful things and actually I feel a bit crappy today. It's just, it doesn't feel good and for young people, particularly with things like Snapchat filters, so there are uh, plastic surgeons who have young people coming in, showing them a phone with their, themselves with like, I don't know what kind of filter on Snapchat and saying, can you make me look like this? 
and it's just unrealistic and unattainable and it's giving people disorders of all types yeah. social media is just i don't think we found a way to make social media safe in our society at the it's moment it's not safe not and especially for our young people yeah but i've got a really great example so a friend of mine that i went to school with put out on um, social media that you know she was living in la she'd married this guy and i you know, hadn't been in touch in about five years and it was just like a really really nice story so I was really quite surprised when I ran into her down, like, well, just ran into her. Turns out it was all BS, not married. I hadn't been to um, LA, no significant other. Wasn't living this great LA life that she was living on Facebook. And I was really quite surprised. And she was just like, well, her life, she just felt her life was really humdrum in comparison to everybody else yeah, so she I wanted mean, something yeah. special I think this social media issue isn't even just a young person no, I, agree. I mean I was thinking this a couple of months ago and I posted something that my mum made me take down because she said it's so depressing people are going to think you're going to kill yourself <laughs> <laughs> I made a little video of myself basically I was on um, Instagram and I was looking around because I was preparing for this podcast and lots of other things that we're doing and I was trying to figure out how people are you know getting followers and what they're posting and what type of content they have and um and also trying to find some influencers just to see if we could you know do some collaborations in terms of getting the message out there and um and i was searching for women obviously and i realized that a lot of the influencers my god you know i was looking through these people's pages and it's kind of like oh look i can do yoga pose in 15 different ways oh look i'm slim oh look i am beautiful oh look i have like really posh clothes and they all tag what where their clothes are from you know they do photos they like, don't own those clothes. i'm just going to you know whichever so-and-so party and then underneath they're like thank you to so-and-so designer or whichever whatever mm. company it is or i don't know and then um you know they're on yachts and every other picture is on some sort of beach somewhere with palm trees and you know god knows what and i'm thinking really like seriously this is your life and like one of them had written you know three kids business owner single mom entrepreneur blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm. and i was like i felt a little bit intimidated actually i thought wow i mean in my own little head in my own little world i thought i'm relatively successful you know in my own world mm -hmm. i thought my god compared to these people I'm like a loser, <laughs> you know, I'm a total loser. I can't do yoga poses in 15 different positions. And, you know, is that what I'm supposed to be able to do? You know, to to be considered successful as a woman, are you supposed to be all of these things? You know, yoga doing, cooking, you know, going to the best restaurants, taking photos of like the most amazing food constantly, going on holidays every other week. You know, how, how are you an entrepreneur? How can you run a business? I'm an entrepreneur. I can't go on holiday every other week. I'm lucky if I can go away once a year because who's going to take care of my business whilst I'm away? Yeah, I mean, yeah. My, my background is in social media and I find it interesting that companies like Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, etc., have created this world for us, yet they are not living up to their responsibilities in terms of safeguarding. It does make me a little cross when they're like, oh, well, it's self-regulated. It's like, no, you need to, you can find me on Facebook to advertise to me to sell me those shoes, yet you can't create an algorithm to help safeguard against inappropriate content. So that's where I think, mm, no, you need to step up a little bit here. Absolutely. It, yeah. it can be really scary. I had a bit of an experience when um, I did this TV show a couple of years ago and um, someone must have seen it and uh, sent me a death threat. 
on Facebook. Oh my god. Um, and actually, it's still there. So if I log into my Facebook account and look at um, my old messages, it's still all there. Um, although I've, it's etched into my brain, so I know every single word of it. But um, I reported it to the police. It turns out it was somebody in Scotland. Um, I think it took two and a half years, almost three years, to get to some sort of resolution. They fined her £300 and that was it. That's it. I didn't, didn't go through any sort of... And I was thinking about this all the time because there was some random person who I don't know who sent me a death threat. I did that thing where, you know, I told my mum and then I instantly regretted telling my mum because she said, is it is it okay for you to go outside? And yeah. I said, of course it is, of course. And I was thinking, oh God, is, is it, it safe <laughs> for me to go outside? I don't know. Am I going to get stabbed? I mean, I don't how, know. how long ago was this? Uh, almost three years. So you're working professional right you can cope with that I've, i found it hard to cope yeah with it as but just think if that was a a young a young person absolutely. i mean how, how do they and deal they with that are much more cruel with each other yeah. as well like oh, yeah. i've seen these things that people are videoing you know little kids getting bullied by other kids and yeah. posting it and mm. you know not only is it humiliating that you got beaten up or you got shoved around to begin with yeah but then it's out there for everyone who wasn't even there to see you know, which is yeah. just an extra layer of just, mm, yeah. you know. And you also can't get away from it because um, I guess, you know, 20 years ago, you get bullied, you go home, you have a bit of a sanctuary at home, or at least those bullies aren't there. Mm. Whereas now you go home, it's actually not just in your bedroom, it's in your bed because it's on your phone. And so mm. when you pick up your phone in the morning or before Everywhere. you go to sleep, it's yeah. right there. You can't detach from mm. it. You're reading all these horrible things online at home. Mm plus the bullying you're getting at school. It's terrible. And yeah. I feel like people are less filtered as well on social media. Yeah. So, so you know, come. to your face, even if you were being bullied, there's a still a limit to what they what a bully would say. Yeah. But when it's behind a screen, I feel like people say like atrocious things. The keyboard warriors. Yeah, that they yeah. would yeah. never actually be able to say, you know, to your face. Something so about being anonymous that turns you into a bit of a troll, it seems. I don't know what that is yeah. about human nature, but it seems to be lots of people suddenly just become really mean yeah. mm. so I listened to this really interesting TED talk by um, Cameron Russell and she is a model and she was talking about so she first started modeling when she was 13 and she shows a picture of her first professional photograph and she said and by the way this photo where she looks like a little girl she said was taken the following day when I was with my grandma so she said this is all about perception she said my modeling agency created this persona for me and then she proceeded to show other photographs the comparison of the same day or the day after you're like wow she's a 13 year old kid yet here she looks like a 22 year old woman wow. and this is the perception so she was talking about don't always look at what people are saying because that's not what's true yeah look beyond the filter basically yeah it was, it was really interesting talk the thing is it is hard also to share your i mean i think i've been thinking a lot myself about how much I share online so after the death hurt thing I think I got a little bit freaked out so I didn't share things like where I was maybe I'd share it the day after or something um, but I still struggle with how much to share and I guess the thing is if you do have let's say you're having a terrible week where you know work is going wrong um, I have anxiety so let's say my anxiety is you know pretty terrible or something like that how do you share that without feeling really self-conscious about well everyone's going to think I'm yeah. weak or there's something wrong with me or, or just that I'm just a bit rubbish and I think that's it's still quite hard I think to get through that to actually share the real moments as well as the you know I'm on holiday type thing I think it's quite hard and I don't know that social media is even the place for it no, no. I think certain platforms probably are depending on if, maybe perhaps you're in a particular group 
yeah. where that is what they talk about and that is their subject and you could probably have that conversation. But even with your friends, I mean, you'd probably be, be subjected to who you would speak to as well. You I mean, you might not have that conversation with us, but you might have that with someone you're much closer with mm. who understands. That's the thing with social media, isn't it? You don't have that filter. So if it's not social media and you're communicating face-to-face, you have a choice to sort of say, I want to share this, but I don't think Jem's the right person. You know, I think Eve is, or I think Claire is. So you, you are actively making a choice on who you want to communicate, how you feel yeah. uh, with, and you're probably making the right choice on whoever's going to be able to give you the best support, right? But with social media, it's just there. Like for mm. everyone and anyone, the the ones that you know could be useful as well as the ones that are not going to be useful. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the problem, isn't it? It's it's non-filtered. So yeah, your audience is. One mm. of my friends recognised that she was having panic attacks because of watching a YouTuber. Like this YouTuber put herself out there and started talking about her anxiety and her symptoms and exactly what was going on. And she went as far as to record herself when having a panic attack. And then she was saying how it was really hard for her to put it out because she'd know that she'd get so much hate for it. But even if one person gets something positive about it, like she feels like she'd help someone. And my friend was actually like going through anxiety and having panic attacks and she did not recognise what it was. And it happened when we were all out together at a restaurant and then it like hit her and she was like, I think this is what's happening right now. So I think there is also positives to it even though there is also this whole negative side to it as well yeah, but social can be used for good it, it can be but i do think though that um putting it out there like that um can also be really dangerous um i was working with a, a group of young people who had taken to cutting because they'd watched some videos where the person was saying that cutting helped them relieve stress and they were feeling very stressed so yeah, they started God. started cutting and then like two years of trying to break that habit of and it's something they learned because they thought oh this is a way to do it this you know i learned it off university of youtube i've yeah. seen similar things about um anorexia and bulimia and stuff like that people commenting that there are these sites or you yeah. know people that are releasing images or information or exchanging information on yeah. how to you know puke or how to I don't I don't know you know I don't know enough about the the problem or or how people kind of behave but you know they're giving each other advice on how to be um, a certain way that might not necessarily be very helpful. I guess it's also about um, there's there's definitely a positive I think in role modeling for other people so when people like Nadia Hussein talks about anxiety I mean it made me feel like I could talk more about my anxiety yeah. And I think if you're a young person going through it, you're like, oh, well, she has it. Oh, OK, I can still function and, and have a good life and, and mm. I still have this and it's fine. But I think we also have to be really responsible. So um, do you remember 13 Reasons, Reasons Why yeah. from Netflix? Yeah. 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 So I remember there was a bit of a hype about it and then I thought, OK, whatever, I kind of ignored it. And then I watched the series. And as I watched the series, to my mind, I was thinking, actually... Netflix has been actually very responsible because at the beginning and end of every single episode there's a whole thing about where you can reach out to for help and I don't think, to my mind, it didn't glamorise suicide at all. It made it look absolutely awful. I couldn't watch the scene where she actually killed herself. I, I couldn't watch it. I found it too distressing, I guess. Um, but then the effects you see on her family and her friends, and all, it just to me, it did not glamorise suicide at all. And so I was banging on about how I think actually it's fine. And then read the research reports which come out from it and which apparently come out from every single time suicide is depicted in some sort of media, which is that people then 
uh, feel like actually dying by suicide is an option and then the rates go up. So however much I feel like, oh actually it was fine and responsible, actually for vulnerable people in that position it's very irresponsible and actually yeah. it wasn't a good thing to do. So I, I guess there's some positives, but we also need to be really careful about being responsible for what we put out there also. Mm. Well, I guess it's because it's that educating and the educating to, <laughs> you know, you know, like there's one that provide knowledge and there's another one to yeah. provide a way, a how-to. So we're having discussions with my eldest at the moment. He's eight and he likes to play Minecraft, which is not a problem. He's allowed to play Minecraft on his little iPad. But he also likes to go onto YouTube and watch um, people talk about Minecraft and how to do certain things. And we've had to have a discussion with him saying, you cannot watch these channels because I don't know what these people are saying. I don't know their tone, I don't know the message that they're saying, the language that they're using. So we had a big discussion with them about that versus what you could watch on BBC iPlayer or anything like that, where it is for children because it has gone through a certain censorship. So it's getting him to understand the differences between two channels. Do you remember when people were trying to, there was this big controversy about, what was it, street, some game where you drive and knock people over, I don't know what I was it's called. There's um, been a, there's been a street few. American, like a big, There's GTA. GTA. Yeah, or something, I don't, I don't know, maybe that. Basically you steal cars. You steal cars and you knock and people you, over yeah. and you it's shoot a computer game. them mm -hmm. and whatever. And there was but this in real life. huge thing in a no, computer no. game. Oh, okay. It's like PlayStation Xbox. I'm going to just say Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> but lots of people had come out and said that this was influencing young people to, you know, go on rampages and steal cars and knock people down. And the more they played these kinds of games, the more desensitized they were to. Mm. And even now, you know, now there's like a rating on games. Yes. That's when the ratings, you know, happened, yeah. is because this was one of the games. And then I think there was something else where you go around shooting police or something, I don't know. So people were talking about how young people felt like it was okay and they were being desensitised to, you know, going around shooting people, essentially. Are we now taking it a bit too far, though? You know, like, when does it become almost too much censored? I mean, I think a lot of young people probably are also aware that you can play this game but not go around actually shooting people. Yeah. You know, there are lots of games. You have a stupid frog thing when I was little and you hit crocodiles on the head or frogs on the head. I don't ever remember actually getting a real hammer, finding a real frog and hitting <laughs> it on the head. You know, it's kind of like, where does that censorship... Like, didn't you have that other game, um, the suicide game, where they'd start playing it, the creator had made it so that by the end of the thing, the only thing they'd want to do is commit suicide. I don't know this game. I, it was blue I something, and know. it was caught. Cool. It was in Russia somewhere. I mean, somewhere that's a bit stuff. extreme, obviously. But it's, <laughs> no, yeah. no, it's, it's a whole idea with game theory and the way people learn that actually you can influence behaviour through repetition of these games, and especially with young people, actually anybody, mess around with their brain chemistry, so they're not even... like If they're presented with a situation that looks like it would be in the game, they may make the same choice as they would in the game, even though it's real life. Would I, they think it's, I think it's about no, they, um, being responsible because the thing, the thing is I think it's all a bit of a grey area really yeah. because you're right in that so I used to play um, GTA with my brother when I, when I was young and um, <coughs> not that I'm not young but still we used to play it and the thing that concerned me about it I thought well neither of us are going to start you know breaking into cars and mowing people down but the thing that bothered me about it was the language because it referred to women as 
B words and hoes and I don't know yeah. what. And I thought, I don't want my brother listening to this because I don't want him growing up thinking that that's what you can call women. And, and, that, and it's interesting because in some, in, it's the same game and there's one aspect where I'm like, well, he's never going to do that. But the other one where I think, well, actually, I don't want that to influence him. So I think it's always going to be a bit of a grey area, mm, yeah. I think. I agree with the influence thing. I think that's really important to make sure that, especially I've got three young boys, so to me it's really important that I raise them to have respect, not only for women, but yeah. for men and for other people and all those sorts of things. So you don't want those sorts of influences coming through and I just I sort of take it as a bit of a social responsibility to make sure that they're... Um, well, I guess, even as a parent, I guess that's... Well, not to make you feel worse, but I imagine that's really quite hard because... I mean, even in things like music, I mean, I was just listening to something, some playlist on Spotify the other day, and just, I mean, some random song came on where it was talking about, I think the line was something like, you can hurt your B word, but you can't hit mine or something like that. And oh, was, my God. I was like, what? I, can't, I, I thought, what is this? And this is just a random mainstream pop song. So there is a film that the boys used to like to watch called Planes. It's like a Disney, Disney film. And um, they, there's this particular scene where all the planes are getting ready to go out and put out a, a bushfire in America somewhere. And the song Thunderstruck by ACDC comes on. And it's great, the kids love it. And they're all like, Thunderstruck, and they're getting stuck in. And Gerald and I are like, oh, it's a great song. But have you listened to the lyrics? Because the song is about going, I think it's about going to Las Vegas and getting down on your knees and what? all sorts of things. I'm like, we can't play this song for the children. We have to find the Disney version of this song so they can listen to it. Because the first time we put it on, the lyrics started coming on and I was like, la, 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 Because <laughs> I was like, we can't have them singing that. That's horrific. Well, I remember <laughs> who let the dogs out and yeah. I remember it was Mom singing to it. And she was I like, thought it was about dogs. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, who let the Wait. dogs out? It's not about dogs. <laughs> no. no. Oh, I need mom, to go back and listen to Mum was mortified. She was like, what? You need to stop <laughs> singing that song now. Well, so I've got two things on that. <laughs> two things. So we, I did a, um, outside of work, I, I worked with a youth group and we did a project about music and the influence of music and, you know, like some, cause some of them were coming in and they're like grime and all this sort of stuff. You know, when grime was hip and happening. Um, which obviously shows that I was never into grime. Um, the guys and gals all saying that music had no influence on them. And I was just like, I just don't believe Rubbing. you. No, I don't and, believe And that, I was yeah. like, so, you know, name this song. Do you know the lyrics? Oh, no. Mm, no. But I'd actually found instrumental versions. And I had them playing during their thing. And I was like, okay, you're singing the words. I thought you said it didn't have anything. I've literally just put the instrumental version. And do you know all the words? Because you're actually telling it and stuff. And it was all about, you know, being your bee and... Um, Showing your, you know, and doing this to um, showing your, <laughs> you know, big, showing your, you know. But, and, and, you know, the funniest thing is the reason I was aware of this was because years before, only a few, I was at uni, and me and my friend used to like to listen to a song called Hoochie Mama. It was just, it was our summer song, you know, and it was something like you ain't nothing but a hoochie mama, hump that, rump that, hoochie mama. Now. What we hadn't anticipated was that her three-year-old, who was in the back of the car, uh -oh. would be picking up on this song. Uh -oh. And the nursery contacted um, her because one day her child was colouring. You ain't nothing but a hoochie mama, hump that, rump that, hoochie mama. Well, the thing is, I remember being at school, in primary school, and singing to Salt and Pepper, 
Oh, oh push it. Yeah. <laughs> I I distinctly remember singing that song with all my friends and dancing around and going like this. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Because we thought it was. Yeah, but we didn't understand what it was. Yeah. yeah. Like what about that just, other one? Baby got back. Oh. I don't remember that. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, I got a lot of harassment in the street. Apparently, I had back. I didn't know because I hadn't oh, heard the. Yeah, didn't know what back what was. It? Your anaconda ain't got none oh, until you get oh my buns, God, baby. Yeah. Like, no, we used to sing that all the time. We had no idea what that was about. Crazy. There was a song that I used to sing. <laughs> She's looking. For <laughs> I don't remember what it. I don't remember the name. But it was your friend. <laughs> it was influence. That was at our house and I was singing along to it and then he stopped he was like do you know what this means I was like no he's like okay carry on singing <laughs> he probably <laughs> didn't know how to explain and he thought was, I ain't going down there you know when we were on holiday in Tenerife it was you and me mum yeah and we went to this like thing dinner place restaurant I don't know there was two guys singing this song and I remember I picked it up from there Oh my god, this is gonna bug me if I don't remember. Life changing no idea. Yeah, no, no idea. idea. Oh but my god. So, so many of these songs, like, they literally become, what was it, earworms? Was yeah, it that's the word. Oh, Shaggy. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Oh, it wasn't yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to play that in the car. I used to come on, like, Capital Radio, whatever I was listening to at the time. And my mum, when my mum used to drive me home from school, and at some point, there was one day, she just, I think she clocked the lyrics and she suddenly went, what are we listening to? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And that's sometimes I think it's literally, because um, I never really liked the Spice Girls, I'm going to say it, I'm not a sp- fan. Um, and I worked in Woolies, and I was walking down the road, and one of my friends just said to me, oh, you didn't like Spice Girls. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, I think you pretty much sang three songs <laughs> while we've been walking. And I was like, what? Yeah. Turns out I, didn't, I knew like two albums worth of songs, <laughs> having not, yeah, just having heard them. I actually feel like that's the same like that that whole musical thing is the same thing going back to the games like that learned repetition okay yeah. it's like at some point you don't even realise you're acting it's subconscious not conscious thought yeah. I just looked up the um, lyrics to Thunderstruck Ooh. and I, I just showed it to Eve the part that I used to go la 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 whenever it came on the radio it was I was shaking at the knees could I come again please there is no way I can have my kids singing that song so we had to find the Disney version from come the on, film it's not as bad as oh push it push it real good <laughs> <laughs> your boys are into heavy heavy metal mate, rather I than the R&B we could create a scale from zero to push it and see where it lies on that scale yes. I like the scale of zero to push and it and don't forget the thrusting motion as oh. well yeah, actually sometimes Actions. we used to do that on the show it wasn't just me it's an entire generation of young people and in primary school going oh push it like, you know the one about I like big butts and I cannot oh, lie yes. oh, yeah that's yeah. that's the one I was yeah. talking about yeah, yeah. Charles was toxic from Britney Spears. 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 Spears oh and and hit me baby one more time yeah. is that not like a like a call for domestic abuse <laughs> well apparently it's a highly sexualized song and the lyrics have alter meanings Oh, do they? Apparently. And that's why she's dressed like a schoolgirl. Oh, is it? A sexy schoolgirl. But for those of us that don't read into these other layers, all I'm hearing is that she's asking to be beaten. No, what she says is, my loneliness is killing me. I must confess, I still believe. When I am not with you, I lose my mind. Exactly. Sounds like a stalker. So actually, she's basically saying she's addicted and the hit is like drugs. 
No idea. Okay, great. So thank you very much, ladies, for, for joining me thank on you. this episode of Poopology. And uh, to all our listeners, please come back next Monday for the next episode of Poopology. Thank you. I feel cool on this side, but that could be just for the water. Slightly, slightly damp over here. And it's actually following me. you got a damp patch underneath you, Jen. What's that all about? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs>